And there's a bunch of thoughts running through your mind, everywhere from, those guys are so dumb, to, man, I, re- I remember those days, to, to like, sheer horror, like, because some of it just kind of startles you. Why would the guy with the hair <laughs> make any sense to me? Like, just what would make you want to do that? Um, well, the lesson here this morning is that playing with fire can, can be quite harmful. You know this already. But these guys and gals were making really, really dumb choices that, that brought up about some real pain for them. And, and there's three areas in life that we're going to look at over the next three weeks that are quite explosive, depending on the way that you handle them. These three areas are money, sex, and power. Today we're going to look at the, the topic of money. And with all of these areas, money, sex, and power, they can spark an explosion. And so with these three areas, um, we take precautions. We take precautions. The word precaution means this. It's a measure taken in advance to prevent something dangerous, unpleasant, or inconvenient from happening. That's, you take precautions from being burned. You take precautions in life. With, these, with the area of money especially, um, there are some things that we can do to prevent the harm that could come if we get things twisted out of order. Um, when it comes to money, we have been heavily influenced with our approach on, 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 these, on this area that we kind of think, eh, money, it doesn't really make a difference how I handle my money. And so in this series, what we're going to do is we're going to really look at what does the Bible say about each of these areas of God's plan and and really try to determine what is God's order that he's laid out in the Bible so we can get a hold of that. By keeping things in the right order with these areas, um, we find God's blessing. We find benefits come from keeping things in the right order. Um, The blessings, we're not going to look at all of those um, this morning, but... Some of you have experienced the blessings of, of just keeping, keeping things in order in life. Um, I want to pray as we, uh, as we kind of move forward. So let's pray, and then we'll move ahead. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And, and I ask you, Lord, to help us to um, gain clarity on this specific topic of money. Lord, it is, is, there's a powerful tool, and I pray that you give us clarity on what you have to say about it. Lord, help us to prevent some of the damage that could come from getting things out of order in this area. We ask for your help and the guidance of your Holy Spirit. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. I, I, the danger can come, like we said, to just kind of twist things out of order. In the area of, of, of money, sex, and power, in those three areas, life can be cheapened depending on how we approach these things. Uh, the topic of money, though, Today we're going to look at that, and money is, is a neutral thing in the Scripture. When you open up the Bible and you read through it, money is not bad, it's not good, it's a neutral thing. It really depends on the way you handle money and the order, um, the order that you use to steward or, or to manage money. Whenever we get selfish with money, what we do, it's like we're kind of starting to spark something that could ignite. We begin playing with fire. And as you saw, most of the people in those videos... We're not expecting those results. I mean, maybe some of them assume, this is, I'm going to blow myself up. <laughs> I don't know why you would think to do that still. But most of the people were thinking, oh, we're just going to have a good time. It's pretty harmless. I'm going to be able to, and then boom, it blows up in their face, and they get thrown back 20 feet or 
you know, or they fall into the fire. Um, greed, when it comes to greed, money, when we turn selfish with money, then greed begins. Now, greed, I would say most of us deal with greed on some level. Um, some would say, um, yeah, it's a real problem in me, and others maybe, yeah, but it's hard to detect. Um, but greed is very, very difficult to see in the mirror. Um, you're familiar with natural gas and how natural gas is odorless, right? Um, you may not know that, but they actually add a chemical. It's a harmless chemical that they add into natural gas in order to give it a scent so that you know gas is on in the house. It smells, it's got this distinctive odor, and when it's on, it's got, it smells like rotten eggs. And it smells bad for a really good reason. It's because in case of a gas leak, um, you should know um, that you're in trouble, you know. If it just was totally odorless, it would be undetected and pass out. Or, you know, a spark would light your house. Greed is also very, very difficult to detect in our lives. Um, almost no one thinks they have an extreme problem with greed. Yet all sorts of explosions can come with this area. Um, stinginess. Um, when I'm stingy, what I'm doing is I'm really building a wall up between me and others. I can build that wall up between me and my family, me and people outside of my family. As I, as I hear of needs, if I'm being stingy, and when I'm stingy, it's like I've constructed a wall that just kind of blocks out the problems that other people are experiencing to where I, I'm just kind of insulated and I don't feel the hurt that they're in. Um, another explosion that can come from money is, is debt. Debt can cause this massive crater that can take us years, even decades, to crawl out of this deep, deep hole of debt. Uh, sometimes when the economy turns, um, it can bring a tremendous amount of stress and worry and anxiety. And oftentimes the change of the economy uncovers um, a misplaced hope. I've been hoping in something, and then all of a sudden, something messes with my personal finances, and now my hope is rattled because I put too much stock in this. Uh, I want to introduce you to, or reintroduce you to, someone that Jesus met who had a greed problem. His name was Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus, uh, his story is found in Luke chapter 19. So if you, if you like, you can turn there. If you brought a Bible, you can turn there. We'll have the verses up here on the screen as well. Um, and if you want, pull out this listening guide, you'll be able to follow along. But this man, Zacchaeus, he was a, t- a chief tax collector, okay? He collected taxes for the government. The government was the Romans. And so because he was a tax collector, Zacchaeus was filthy rich. He was a Jewish man who worked for the Romans. The Romans were the conquerors of Israel at this time when this was being written. And Rome, the, the Romans laid heavy, heavy taxes on the Jews which left many, many people in poverty. The average person was really oppressed by the Roman government. But the people they were using to get the money from common people were the Jewish tax collectors. And so the Jewish tax collectors played like the middleman between the common people and the Roman government. But they were Jewish um, individuals. But in the mind of most people, tax collectors were sort of on the level of like a modern-day drug lord because they enslaved people. They enslaved the weak and poor of the inner city really for their own benefit. And the tax collectors, they would demand more money um, than really people needed to be taxed for. The Romans set a rate that was contracted, and so the tax collectors would would take more than what was contracted to go to the government, and they would keep a portion for themselves. 
Now, why do you imagine anybody would take this job? For the money. For greed. Zacchaeus, he was the chief tax collector. What that means is he's filthy rich, but he was also kind of like the head of the local mob family. In a sense, you know, he was um, not trusted by people. He was despised by many of his own people. And then Zacchaeus, this man, he was actually a little, he was a short person, okay? And so when he heard Jesus was, was coming, he'd heard the stories about this man who'd done miracles, who would preach and talk about the kingdom of God, he'd heal people, he'd deliver people from things. He wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus. He wanted to be able to connect with Jesus. And so in order to do this, since he was such a short man in stature, he climbed up a tree, a sycamore tree, in order to catch a view of Jesus to see over the heads of the crowd. And now, in order to, to understand how important this act is, um, you have to understand that honor and dignity was a big part of that culture. This was a dishonorable thing to do. For a grown man to climb up into a tree, that's something that children do. It's not something that grown men would do. Um, but he was willing to humiliate himself in order to see Jesus. Something was drawing him to want to know Jesus personally. Now Luke 19 verse 5 is where I want to pick up. It says this, and when Jesus came to the place, meaning when he came to the tree, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. He wants to come be a guest at Zacchaeus' house. Now this is fascinating. Think about all the people that Jesus could have chosen to dine with. The, the good people in the society, the religious folks of the society, you know, who does he choose? He singles out the most notorious sinner among them to go and visit him and to eat with him. And so the rest of the crowd, they were stunned. They didn't like this. Verse 7 says this about them. When they saw it, meaning they actually were shocked, so they followed Jesus and Zacchaeus to see what was actually happening. When they saw it, everyone, you know, they all grumbled, it said. They were murmuring. They said this, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. They could not believe this. The crowds, some of the religious people could not believe that Jesus would choose. They were stunned at Jesus' choice for his dinner plans. But Jesus here, he's making a huge statement. He's making a huge statement about his mission in life and who he has come to reach. He's not coming to reach the people that have got it all together. He's really wanting to connect with the people who really need him. The people who are far from him. And so check out how Zacchaeus responds. Verse 8 says this. Zacchaeus stood up. So imagine they're, they're dining around Zacchaeus' house. And Zacchaeus stands up and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. Now Jesus didn't put him up to this. Zacchaeus voluntarily announces that he's about to give or he will give half of what he owned to the poor. He moves from greed, extreme greed, to extreme generosity. Makes a bold statement here. And then he says this, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, then I restore it four times. So then he promises to repay four times the amount that he's cheated people. And if you think about it, he's given away 50%. Can you imagine giving away 50% of what you owned to the poor? But then with the other leftovers, he says, you know, if I've cheated anyone, which we know he has because this is what the tax collectors did, he's saying, 
He's basically saying, I'm giving it all away in a sense. He's, he's going to pay it all back. Now, we don't get the timetable. We don't understand the whole plan. But he, he's expressing um, a huge heart change. And what this is, is this, this is a 180 degree turn for a man whose heart was completely wrapped around his money. And he goes from, from that to extreme generosity. It's a powerful story. If you want to see someone who made a different choice, but a very similar man, you can read one chapter back in Luke chapter 18. Jesus um, talks about, he's, he's interacting with a rich man who comes to him. And Jesus, and he wants to follow Jesus. And he's been a good religious man in some ways. He said, you know, I've kept God's laws and I've got things together in my life. And Jesus says, there's one thing you lack. Because Jesus could see right through to the fact that this man was also a greedy man. He said, you know, he told the man, give up all your riches, distribute it to the poor, and then come and follow me. And that man, he wouldn't do it. He says he walked away, turned away sad. He wouldn't follow. Why? Because his grip around his money was so tight he couldn't release it. But for Zacchaeus and Jesus, he drew a line for that rich man. And the one man, he turns, he turns and walks away. But for Zacchaeus, he walks across this line because he has a true heart change. Why is that? Well, Jesus pursued him. He wasn't too far from God. Jesus loved him and he pursued him and he went to be with him. Look at verse 9. Look at Jesus' response to what Zacchaeus just declares. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he is also a son of Abraham. Seeing this man and the evidence of real life change, Jesus declared, This man, Zacchaeus, is right with God today. This is powerful. Verse 10, then he says, For the Son of Man, this is Jesus' title for himself, he would kind of cloak or disguise his identity that he was actually God himself. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. He's just saying, this is why I'm here. I'm coming to set people free. I'm, I'm coming to turn people's lives completely around. And Zacchaeus, you're in the kingdom. Today, salvation is yours. Now, Zacchaeus, he came face to face with the grace of God. Zacchaeus did not deserve it, did he? No, he, he cheated people. He deserved the opposite. He deserved punishment. He did not deserve to have an encounter with the Savior of the world. But this is how grace works. This is what, this is what many of us are extremely grateful for, the, the fact that we can get to know a gracious and kind and merciful God. But Zacchaeus, he realized that God's salvation was by grace. This was a free gift, the fact that Jesus would pursue him and come to be with him. This was not through good works. This wasn't through performance. Jesus didn't go and dine with him and said, hey, if you'll pay back everyone you've cheated, then you can be saved, Zacchaeus. Salvation doesn't come after we change, but this is in your listening guide. A changed life flows from experiencing God's grace. The starting point for a changed life is God's grace. Experiencing, having a real encounter with the grace of God. Now, if salvation is something you can earn through doing good, then Zacchaeus would have asked the question. He would have said, hey, Jesus, how much do I have to give in order to be accepted by you? What's the dollar amount? <laughs> you know, pull out his wallet. Hey, let me write you a check. How much is it going to cost me to be accepted by you? Instead of asking that question, he thought to himself, how much can I give? He just, he just starts <laughs> explaining what he's going to do. 
in response to God's grace. And in that moment, Jesus became Zacchaeus' God, his Savior. And Jesus replaced what was Zacchaeus' God previously. That's money. Money was his God. Now Jesus becomes his God. And then the true value of money comes into clear focus in Zacchaeus' mind, that money is a tool for good. And as Zacchaeus experienced God's grace, it motivated him to just do his life totally differently. There's true heart change. Now, if you were to go back about a thousand years in the Bible, before Zacchaeus met Jesus, um, King Solomon, Israel's third king, he paints a picture of the good things that God wants to bring into our lives as we handle money in the right way, in the right order. I want you to look at uh, Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5 through 10. Proverbs 3, 5 through 10 lays out a passage. and Actually, verses 5 and 6 are... Maybe some of you, this might even be your favorite verses, verses 5 and 6. I want to start at verse 5, kind of look at what God communicates to us through the king, King Solomon. It says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Think about what's in your heart. Think about trusting God with everything going on in your heart. What resides in your heart? That's the core issues of life. That's where you have your hopes and your, your dreams. That's where you mull on relationships. It's where you think through how you're going to handle your your money, with all of those issues, the major core decisions of life, with all of those things and more, Solomon says, hey, trust God with all of your heart. And then he says, and do not lean on your own understanding. That's the flip side. When we trust in someone or something else, we trust in ourselves. Don't lean on yourself. He's saying trust in God with all your heart. In all your ways, he says, acknowledge him. Acknowledge to us sometimes means to tip the hat or, you know, kind of nod that you see someone there. Hey, you acknowledge someone. You kind of give someone a nod. This, this is something different in, in the original language in the Hebrew. This word actually, to acknowledge someone, means to closely, intimately know someone. You know them at the core, and they know you at the core. So he's saying, in all your ways, know God, be known by God. At the core, have this close relationship with him, the closest you can have, meaning that he is priority number one. When we include him in that way, it says this, he will make your straight or make straight your paths. With the decisions, with the things we need clarity on, God lines that stuff up. He helps direct us in life. Then verse 7 says this, and you might want to write down this phrase somewhere, be not wise in your own eyes. You might want to circle that. That's a great statement, a fourth of a verse to commit to memory. Be not wise. In your own eyes. This gets us into real trouble in the area of money. You, you can apply this first to all sorts of um, areas. You can apply it to, to next week's message on sex. And the next week's message after that is on power. And we can be wise in those areas as well. But in this area, be not wise in your own eyes. This is where the trouble often starts with most of us. We start playing with fire when we assume we know what's best. And we come up with our own plan, our own clever idea that sounds really convincing And we've been there where we've chased some sort of financial fantasy and we stumble upon some sort of an idea and we think, oh, this is going to bring it all together, only to realize we've been deceived. We were putting our hope in something that was empty and it vanished. One of the ways that we can really get wise in our own eyes is the area of credit. Using credit. Credit allows us to live a life that we can't quite afford yet, but we're going to afford it at some point, right? 
because we're going to be paying for it for quite a while. We swipe it here, we swipe it there. And so credit is one of the ways that we get wise in our own eyes because in our own eyes we think, I'll pay the bill. I got the money to pay the bill. I can't pay the whole thing right now, so I'm going to buy it in credit because I can pay it over time. But whenever I make a purchase on credit, I initially think, and I don't know about you, but I typically think I'm the one winning here. (laughs) I think I'm the winner, they're the loser. Because as far as I can see with my own eyes, I get the enjoyment right now of the purchase, and I only have to pay them a little bit each month over time. So I'm the winner, right? They're the loser. We know the, we know if you've, if you've ever not paid your credit card and then an unexpected bill comes and you've got to put that on there and then another, and it gets deeper and deeper in this hole and then all of a sudden we're paying a whole lot more on interest than what that original thing was for. And you can easily get trapped into this whole deception, this, this illusion that, yeah, I can, I, can, I can afford this. It's difficult even to get out of credit card bondage. Um, I think it was about two months ago, I, have, uh, I called one of my credit card companies, Citibank. And um, I called them because it, I had a zero balance for about six months on this card. But it's a mileage card. It's really difficult to part with this card. Um, but I have these open cards with, you know, with no balance. I'm like, I, why do I need these cards? So this one, it had been paid down. Nothing on it, but the temptation to earn miles is really, I don't know if that pulls on you, but man, it's a tough one for me. And so I get one of the bills, and the bills have always been zero for the last six months, and I get this one bill, and it says $95. I'm like, oh man, the the dumb annual fee. It's a $95 annual fee. And so I look at the bill, and I call, and I just said, hey, and I I had a plan. My plan was to shut off the card and just have them reverse that fee. And I'm pretty sure that they would do that. And so I called and I asked them, hey, I'm just going to cancel the card. Can you just shut the fee, turn the fee off, and I'm just not going to use it. And they, 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 you know, you know how this is. They don't want to make, they don't want to let you do this. Now, they can't say no, but they, they try everything in order to keep you as one of their customers. You know, Mr. De La Rosa, you've been a customer for X number of years in good standing, and we wouldn't want, wouldn't want to lose one of our great customers, and, you know, and you're going to lose the mileage benefits and all of this stuff. And I'm like, I know, it's killing me, but I, I just need to, I need to shut it down. <laughs> Got to shut it down. And uh, she said, okay, okay, I understand. You know, I'm going to transfer you to our cancellation department. Oh, thank God, I made it through step one. But that's where, <laughs> but that's where the closer comes in, right? And then they really turn up the heat and get you. And, and so this, this other lady comes on, and she's just like, hey, Mr. De La Rosa, you know, I noticed you've been, yeah, yeah, I've been around for a while, haven't I? And, and, uh, and she's, you know, she, we really would hate to see you go. Is there anything we could do? No, I just need to shut this card down. I just don't, don't need this card. And, and here's what we're going to do for you. We're going to waive the fee as long as you go and spend $95. And just pay your $95 bill when it comes. But we'll waive the fee of $95. <laughs> so she pulls the Jedi mind trick on me. And I'm like, and I, 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 caught, I like, I bit, you know. And I chomped into this thing. Like, you'd do that for me? And so I take the bait. And I'm like, and I'm like, wait, so let me get this straight. You're going to waive the 95 if I'll go spend 95 I don't have to spend 95 
and then still have to pay the fee. Yeah, exactly right. What would that be like? 190, right? So my bill's not going to be 190. No, it's going to be 95. Wow, that's fantastic, you know. And and I'm thinking, well, I got to I got to buy stuff anyway. I got to buy gas. Got to get these other things. I'm going to spend that money somewhere else. I'll just redirect the funds onto this card, and they're going to waive the fee. So she said, okay, let me read the terms, and you can just agree to it at the end. While they're reading the terms, my mind finally kicks into gear. Like, what are you doing? You called to cancel the card, and you're getting sucked back in. And, and you know, she gets to the end. Do you agree? No, I don't agree. She's just, she was stunned because I was tracking with her, and then I just, no, I just need you to shut that off. I don't really need this card. And then as soon as she knew she wasn't going to convince me, then she doesn't like me anymore, and it's got to be kind of a rude conversation moving forward. And But I almost fell for it. Oftentimes, we, we pay far more in interest for what we buy on credit. And sometimes we're paying for items that are long gone, they're broken, they're replaced. We're paying on the new item and the old item. And initially, it seemed like a good idea in my own eyes. Be not wise in your own eyes. But that our, our thinking can ignite into debt that destroys our well-being. Years of financial pain can come from being wise in our own eyes. Instead, Solomon says, Fear the Lord. Instead of being wise in your own eyes, fear the Lord. Fear the Lord means give God the place of honor or take God seriously. Don't play games with God. Take him seriously and turn away from evil. Stop trusting in your own ideas. And then he says in verse 8, when you do that, it will be healing to your flesh and refreshment to your bones. There's a clear connection between when I trust God and my health and my stress. And when, when I'm trying to trust in myself, it's me trying to come up with a winning game plan. And I feel all the weight and all the pressure of everything depending on me to pull it off. And so my stress level is raising up and up and up and up. But imagine what it feels like to be able to take a deep breath and relax knowing that God is actually going to lead me if I put things in the right financial order towards peace in terms of my money. Verse 9. Now he shifts gears. And he's talking about trusting God, not trusting ourselves, not being wise. Then he says, now here's one of the implications or one of the applications is this. Honor the Lord with your wealth and all your produce. Here's the path to financial peace. Honor God by bringing back to him a portion of my money. Giving God first before everyone else gets theirs. Why first? Because whenever I give something first, I'm making a statement that that thing that's number one or that thing I give to first is priority number one. He's placed at the top of the budget so that nothing else prevents me from giving, because it will. Then look at verse 10. Then your barns will be filled with plenty, and your vats will be bursting with wine. Here's a picture of someone not spending first, you know, not spending on food and wine and and, and entertainment and toys and bills and, and debt, not spending first, not even saving first, you know, not saving and filling the barns, not padding the retirement, not purchasing more investments, but instead this person is giving first. They're honoring God with the first fruit of what they have. They're giving first, and they're experiencing God's favor as God provides more than enough. He provides what is needed. So you've got one person over here who's trying to gut it out, building their own portfolio in ways that make sense in their own eyes, and another person over here who's trusting God, really it, trusting the unseen God who is real in the most tangible way by giving to God first, because things that are in the right order, bring God's blessing. 
in ways that are undeniable. Now, here's a few very practical ways to honor God with our money. Number one, it starts really with putting God first in my life. This is a starting point for, for, for all of us, making sure that God is first place. This is from the very first of the Ten Commandments. Look at Exodus 20, verse 3. Commandment number one, you shall have no other gods before me. This is really the critical starting point. If you've never yielded control of your life to Jesus Christ, you never made God boss of your life, that's really the starting point. We would love to help you get clarity on what that means. You'll notice on the back of the connection card, on the far right, it says, contact me about beginning a relationship with Jesus Christ for the first time. If you've already made the decision to put God first in your life, then giving anything you give to God is an expression of you honoring your king and your God. If you're in the process of of considering putting God first in, in life and yielding your life to him, then we don't want to elevate this issue of giving above Yielding your life to Jesus as Lord. The, the key issue in life is yielding to him. That's, that's the priority number one. But once you put God first, you be, he begins to rearrange your life. That's what you see in the story of Zacchaeus, who, whose God was money. And then he released that as he yielded to Jesus and then began to become a generous person. That's the first thing, though, is putting God first. second thing is this, is handling money in the right order. There's an order. It's up to us to really direct the flow of money. Otherwise, if we don't direct the flow of money, it will compete with God for first place. John Maxwell, he's a leadership author and expert. He said this, a budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. That's that's simply what a budget does. It's you're just making a plan and you're writing down ahead of time what is your game plan so that when money comes in, Ahead of time, you already tell it where it's going to go. I'm going to get the check, but I've already told it where it's all going to go. And you run your plan in the budget. Now, the right order in Scripture, as you get through what Scripture has to say is this. It's give, save, and then spend. So you first give. Give first. That's the first thing that God wants for those of us who who are Christ followers is to learn to be generous first. The pattern of giving in the Bible is something called the tithe. Um, This is for... Uh, there was a tithe for God's people. The word tithe, that actually means a tenth. So that God's people would give a tenth of their income back to God. Look at this verse here, Leviticus 27.30. I want to talk about this briefly. It says, every tithe, or that's the tenth, every tenth of the land, or tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the tree, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Meaning, there's a tenth of... These land portions, these land allotments, that belongs to God. That, that's, that's God's. There's a tenth of what's on trees and the, the, the seeds of, what does it say, the seed of the land, that, that belongs to God. And so God's people, that was their currency. They would give back to God from their produce and grain and animals. And those things were given. They would be bringing those things to the temple, to the storehouse of the temple. And it would support the work of the ministry. And it would support those who carried out the work of the ministry. And today, most of us don't deal in produce or grain or animals. Instead, we, get, we, we work a job, and so we get an income. But Jesus, he affirmed, in the New Testament, Jesus affirmed the tithe. He still held up the tithe and said, yeah, you should still do that. But he actually, he said, but there's so much more now to be concerned with. And he, he kind of sets people's sights higher. And you have examples, extreme examples of generosity, where people, they, they didn't give just the baseline of what, God wanted or asked people to give, but they would go 
much further in their generosity. But Jesus, he didn't say, yay, you don't need to worry about that anymore. At one point he, he told a group who was being very concerned and, and counting out their, their seeds and making sure they're giving God their portion. And you might think, well, that's crazy they're being so um, pharisaical or legalistic because it was a group of Pharisees. Jesus says, you know, you, you should do that, but there's other things that you're neglecting. But this issue of the tithe, this was long before even the law. Some people would say, well, the tithe, that was, that's the old law given before, you know, be, even before Israel was really formed as a nation. But we have examples even before that, before the nation of Israel. We have examples of Abraham. We have Jacob that gave a tithe. Because it's a representation of a heart that's trusting in God and yielded to him. If you go back even further, you have the sons of Adam and Eve. Cain and Abel, the first two sons, who brought back offerings to the Lord. One of the sons, Cain, he brought, it says, some of the fruit of the soil he brought as an offering to God. The other son, Abel, he brought to God the best portions from the firstborn of his flock. And it says that God looked with favor upon his blessing, the first and the best. He gave his very best to God. And he looked with favor over one versus the other, who really... Um, gave what it appeared to be out of his leftovers. Some who study the, the passages have even written that the fruit of the soil that Cain gave was really, um, it was the fruit of the soil because it maybe had hit the ground already. And so it wasn't even worth eating. And so it would be given like it was on the ground. Whatever it was, was there was, a, there was a contrast between the brothers' offerings. For many of us, this is the most frightening step of obedience to learn to be a giver. Whenever you take the step of obedience, it builds a pattern over time. It's usually a pretty significant turning point in your faith journey to learn to release resources and to get things in the right order. And you might not be at a point where you're able to or ready to give what's called a tithe, a tenth, back to God. What I would encourage you to do is to pick a faith percentage, something that represents faith for you. If you're trying to learn, if you're learning to trust God with your life, that you'd pick a faith percentage to start with, and then ask God to grow you towards trusting him with the tithe. For some of you, that might be, I just need to start somewhere and begin to give. Um, for, for some people, they've said, you know what? We're just going to trust God at this level and see what God does. See if God will continue to, to take care of me. Uh, I'd take this before the Lord. The second thing is this. It's, it's save next. You give first, then you save next. We're not going to get into the issue of savings, but scripturally God lays out in many places the importance of short-term savings and long-term savings. And a great book to read about this is Your Money Map. It's by Crown Financial Ministries, authors Howard Dayton. Savings can function like a rainy day fund. It's kind of like that umbrella that you use in life when the unexpected events of life strike, and they do come. And so if you have something in an emergency short-term savings fund, you can help cover some of those rainy day events that show up. The long-term savings is future planning, but that book really lays out a, a, a solid plan for keeping money in the right order. It also gets into this final area of spending. You give first, you save next, and then you spend last. Spending is really where I fit in. This is, this is the budget, the part of the budget that, that, that touches my life. This is, this is the part of the budget that feeds me and my family. This is the part of the budget that goes for paying my bills off, keeping the lights on, paying any debt that I owe on. That's, that's the spending part. And entertainment, 
clothes, all of that, that's the spending. And look at the order. I mean, that's a scary order, to give first, to save next, and then to spend last. Um, your, your money map, that book, can really help you move away from a haphazard approach and plan to all these different areas and actually begin to have a focused plan that God can really use to teach you to trust him. This final thing is this. We honor God with our money by regularly thanking God for providing enough. When we thank him, we're actually acknowledging that he put the resources in our hands. He's the one that provided the job. He's the one that, that, that have given us the skills to work our jobs. And what he's done is he's actually he's distributed among us his resources for us to manage for him. And it's, it's kind of like you're God's money manager. And he just wants you to be faithful with what he has provided for you to steward for him. Those are, he, those are his resources. But when we, when we remember to thank him, we're actually communicating and expressing back gratitude to him. Money has all sorts of uses. So many of them that he brings into our life can, can bring tremendous good. Money is a tool for good, for enjoyment. It's a tool for, for training and wisdom. It's a tool for helping other people. It's, it's a tool to propel God's work forward. And when we have enough money, we really do have reason to give thanks to the God who has provided it to us and asks us to keep it in the right order. When we, it, when we get it twisted out of order, um, that's where the, the fire really shows up and the pain often shows up. I'm not sure where this lands for you personally. I hope this has been helpful for you to just kind of whirlwind through the topic of money this morning. Um, this is a powerful, powerful part of life. And so... Um, as I wrap up, I want to invite our worship team to come back up to the stage and invite our ushers also to prepare to receive this morning's tithes and offerings. When it comes to giving, we, we really need a plan. And so as we're, as we're about to receive the offering, I want to just t- kind of let the pressure out of the room right now. I worked on bikes yesterday, yesterday, so the idea of letting pressure out of tires and filling up pressure and all that is in my mind. But I want to just kind of take the pressure out of this um, time because... One of the things we don't want people to do in our church is to give out of pressure or compulsion. We would rather you take this before the Lord. If you came prepared to give, and that's just a habit you have in your life, and you're a giver in, in this congregation, then by all means we want to encourage you to be faithful in giving. But if you're sorting through this issue, um, then we would rather you um, kind of look through this, evaluate this area, and, and take it before the Lord in prayer. Maybe something you do with your spouse if you're married, and, and wrestle with this issue before God, and then trust him to apply whatever he says to you. Take a look at these next steps, some practical ways you can apply some of what we looked at. The first thing is, and really the most essential thing, is get clear on how to begin a relationship with God, putting him first in life. If you've never done that, this is, this is the issue that is far greater than money. It's knowing God personally, and we would love to help you clarify that we'd love to send you some material on that if you check that we'll, we'll get in touch with you and then the second thing is evaluate if i'm approaching money in the right order maybe it's just time to evaluate this area third would be automate my giving based on the decision to give to god first if you're at a point where you've been learning to give and you're you're like you know what every month i want to give but emotionally my heart just goes up and down and i get anxious and frustrated about this area that's the emotional Side. And God doesn't want us to give from a place of, of feeling you know, up and down emotionally and feeling pressured and based on how we feel. And so 
about half of the people that give or half of the money that comes into our church comes through people who've automated their giving. And it's basically just part of their plan. They're trusting God in the area of giving and they've automated it so that they don't have to fight that emotional battle from month to month or week to week. And so that might be a step you might consider. If you check that box, then our staff will send you a pamphlet on automating giving at OCC. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. This is such a challenging area in our life. God, it's one that if we if we get it twisted out of order, so much damage can come. And, and I'm sure each person here has experienced that on some level. God, I pray that you would help us to understand money for what it is. And Lord, help us to not worship money. Help, help us to move away from seeing money as our God and our fix-all and our focus in life. But Lord, help us like Zacchaeus to focus on you and to keep you first and allow you to, to direct the flow of resources through our life to be a blessing to the world and to people around us. Thank you for providing enough. Thank you for taking care of us in this room. Even to the point where we're able to be generous with others, Lord, thank you for that. We recognize that you're the one who's given us all that we have. You're the owner of all. May you be pleased as we handle this area in a way that is according to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray.